Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Dear Chelsea. I am Daniel Childs. This is a brand new series I'm starting where I hope to interview some fascinating guests around Chelsea Football Club. Could be fans, pundits, journalists, reporters, ex-players, whatever regarding Chelsea and their love for the club. Where did it begin? Some of their favourite stories and more. We start this series with a brilliant guest, and that is Gary Hayes. Gary, I'm sure, is very well known to a lot of you within the Chelsea community. Most recently, his massive project podcast series, The Blueprint, How Chelsea FC Changed Football Forever. It is an incredible series that is a must-listen for every Chelsea fan. But Gary gives us some of the behind-the-scenes insight in terms of his favourite guest, in terms of what the series meant to him emotionally. I think that's going to be quite relatable. Of course, he also has worked as a reporter, kind of the leading correspondent for Bleacher Report during the period where Chelsea won the Premier League title under Antonio Conte. So we get into some of that and as well break down the latest regarding Chelsea. Mauricio Pochettino, the criticism, is it fair criticism of the current ownership and what the future of Chelsea Football Club looks like? If you want to support the show, really easy to do on YouTube. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe button to get the latest Chelsea content on podcast. Please do give us a five-star review. It really does help out. And share it around with your friends so more Chelsea fans can get involved in the community. But let's get to the conversation now. The first episode of Dear Chelsea with Gary Hayes. So no conversation with Gary Hayes can properly begin without a reference to Bruce. So... That is the that's the Springsteen reference we have in in the podcast. Do I get to talk about it now? Do I? Yeah, yeah. What what can I what can I talk about? Let me think. I'm actually making a series about him at the moment, which is why I've been on a a Bruce pilgrimage this year. So um, yes, feeding passions with work and work with passions, the circle of life. But that's an Elton John song. But there you go. Yeah, Bruce. Very good. So now we're we're going to move <laughs> on. Um, I think the 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 best and and first question here is where did your love of Chelsea begin? So I'm from 
a really big family. Um, I've got six brothers and one sister. And um, we grew up, and my family's all from South London. And um, growing up, my granddad's side from my dad is all Chelsea. And on my nan's side, it's all Millwall. So we were destined to be Chelsea or Millwall, but my dad was Chelsea, so we all became Chelsea. And um, he had moved out of London subsequently when my parents started having kids. And um, and we moved to a place called Peterborough, which is uh, the place that I describe it as where culture goes to die. It's a horrible little town. Um, but we used to go... Um, you know, I, I used to watch Chelsea on TV, but I wasn't really a Chelsea fan until 1991 because my first love in football was England because of Italia 90. And um, I think if you speak to a lot of people from my generation, I was seven during Italia 90. And obviously you're not um, as exposed to football as they are now, you know, kids with social media and it being on Sky all the time and TNT sports and whatnot. So really, that was the first time I properly watched football. and I just fell in love with the England team. And then I'd been moaning to my dad because I wanted to go to a Chelsea game because my brothers used to go. And then it was April 1991. This, this is the season immediately after Italia 90, near the end of that season. Uh, I went to my first Chelsea game, which was um, Chelsea v Liverpool. We won 4-2. And after that, I was hooked. I think it's always interesting where you know people's love and especially from a, a family point of view like I kind of had no choice really I was kind of there was never going to be any other club that I was going to support a family of Chelsea fans who grew up in the local area but then also on my mum's side of the family there was my uncle on my mum's side of the family was uh, an Arsenal fan and you know when I was coming in to, to Chelsea obviously it was the Invincibles time of 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 arsenal so it's it is interesting to see how i think family plays a big role in football i think that's really interesting and the way how that can kind of diverge for different people like just hearing so many stories uh, through the years who especially if you live in a family that's maybe a lot more divided in football um you know you could have been in a completely different universe you know supporting Millwall I think that's just quite remarkable to be honest what, what I find incredible is <clears throat> yeah so we're, we're a divided family in that sense in that um you know my grandparents was two forces colliding in terms of Chelsea and Millwall right but in our family with, with my dad he was Chelsea so we were all Chelsea and I, I you know I had the influence of I looked up to my big brothers I've got four older brothers and I looked up to him so I wanted to be like them and we'd go and play football out in the street. You know, we just lived on an estate and we'd go and play. We used to have, cause it was a new estate. So there was loads of different streets. So we used to play street football, not street football in the sense of in a cage, but street football where we would get all the different streets together. Like there were countries and we would play where, so my street was called Medworth. So we'd have Medworth against Stagston and you couldn't play for Medworth if you lived in Stagston. So it was like England, France, right? Um, and because there was five of us, we predominantly um, had the players in the Medworth team. But my brothers used to go up in their Chelsea shirts and I didn't have one. So I just looked up to my brothers. But so I was actively begging my dad to take me to a game because he used to go with them. So we all went down together. I remember it was Liverpool was still going for the title. And um, it was, uh, we'd just lost 7-0 
the weekend before against Nottingham Forest at the city ground. So we were going down in the car, down the A1, and we're all talking and, um, you know, like, oh, what are we going to lose by today? And I was going, we're not going to lose, we're going to win. You know, and so this started, it's such a pivotal game because, you know, being from a big family, it's how do you have that relationship with your dad as well, right? Because he's got a focus on so many kids. Um, so it was Chelsea that gave me that relationship with my dad. You know, and we all had a different relationship based on certain things. But it was my older brother, Seb, who was bang into it as well. He was like massively into it. And he's like um, seven years older than me. So he was like 14, 15 at this point. So he was like massively into it. And my other, the brothers, the one above me, and then I've got twin brothers, they were sort of into it, but they weren't that bothered. But going to that game just changed it for me, where I was into football anyway, and I really wanted to go and watch Chelsea. And then I went to that game, and uh, Kerry Dixon scored. And, you know, it was just, in, and just seeing it, I remember just being completely mesmerised by the shed. And we went and stood in the corner where the West Stand met, you know, where the benches met the shed. And and it was just like, it was, ama- it was amazing. And I, I still think about it now as like, I, I, you know, I remember getting, getting the tube over and my dad holding my hand because I was so young. You know, and um, I, I always get emotional talking about it because I, and every time I come out of Fulham Broadway now, even when I was working at Chelsea and I'd go to every home game, I'd I'd make sure like some people like to walk from Earl's Court or you know they're, they're coming from different ways. I'd, I'd sometimes walk from Earl's Court now, but predominantly I'd go to Fulham Broadway just so I can come out, and get onto Fulham Road, and then you smell the onions in the air, and I feel like I'm seven years old again, and I absolutely love it every week. Every week, no matter how bad we are, no matter how bad things are going, because my dad's dead now. So it makes me think about my dad every time, you know. I I, I also think it's something that's quite special about football that, especially with our love of clubs, that winning trophies, the players, um, transfers obviously now take up so much of the conversation in mainstream football kind of analysis. And it, you think about that deep connection you have with a club and I agree it's it's for me I, I consistently think about the first game and just the view because we, we sat in the West End lower and right at the front of the West End lower and I just remember seeing Stamford Bridge open up the floodlights that's what it comes down to right we're just all <clears throat> we're just all little boys who want to impress our dads and that's why you know the stuff that I've been able to do I've been so privileged and fortunate to do the things that I've done and it's always because I just feel like, yeah, dad would be happy with this, you know? Yeah. I was, I was never going to play for Chelsea. I, I was a terrible player. I, I had discipline problems where I wanted to be Vinnie Jones. I was two footing people on the pitch. I was terrible. I was a, I was a renegade and my dad had to stop watching me. Cause he said, I can't watch you anymore because you're just crazy. And I was just like, because but I was, the old, you know, they say about oh the ultra competitor and, and the way people play and, I was a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old kid. I couldn't control it because I wanted it that bad. I wanted to be Vinnie Jones. I wanted to play for Chelsea. Um, and I was never going to be, I was never going to do it. So I've I've been able to do sort of um, what I feel is the next best thing, right? For someone who's got no talent, how can you get connected with Chelsea? Well, I'll just try to write a little bit and I'll try to do this and I'll try to do that. And somehow it's worked a little bit, you know? The recent big project... Uh, that I played a small part in, a very small part in, uh, the blueprint. And I'm, I'm probably not the first person to tell you this, but I, you know, congrats on the series. Obviously, there's there's still a lot to come from the series, but I think from a Chelsea fan point of view, 
it is really a gift you know in terms of that the way the story is played out the the way the the interviews are, are threaded in and, and the story just from a narrative point of view i think it's told in such a, a very interesting and kind of seamless way i you know i think the first thing to ask you about this just is interesting to me when you approach a, a massive project like this over such a long period of time as a fan as someone who is who is been so invested in Chelsea, worked around Chelsea, know so much about the club. What was kind of the major thing you learned? Well, firstly, Dan, you're in every episode as well at the beginning. True, true. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't asked for my princess. my payback, like my my what do you call it, my uh, the the paycheck and, and kind of the I don't yeah, know how you call your it. Royalties the, on the my royalties, that's the one. Yeah, the copyright. There, yeah, there we I go. Feel, I feel like you lot need to join the SAG AFRA uh, strikes because uh, yeah. we keep using your singing voices. I think we did get you to sign a disclaimer, actually, so we're protected. <laughs> we were thinking like executives. Um, what What is the biggest thing I learned? Um, the thing is, when you so when you look at the story, um, and I appreciate you saying what you did. I, when I hear Chelsea fans telling us they enjoy it, um, it, it means so much because um, we spent so long doing it because it was just a little bit here, a little bit there. And it's only in the last year or so that we were able to properly sit down and get on with it. And COVID for two and a half years sort of killed it because it was so hard to interview people because we try to do, we, we were trying to do all the interviews in person um, just because look, it's, it's great doing it like this and we know each other. But when you're doing the interviews to the level we are with the players, especially um, you want to be in the room with them because you, you've got the energy of them, right? It's not as um, sterile. So um, some of them we did in person and some we, we didn't. But um, but we, we just did it. You know, we, we just wanted to tell a story that it's a story that everyone knows, but then everyone doesn't know as well, you know, um, as much as a, an oxymoron as that sounds. But um, y- y- you look at the 90s and you look at, you know, Glenn coming in and um, and then Glenn passes over to Rude and, and then there's the stuff happening behind the scenes with Ken and Matthew Hardin and um, and then Luca and hands it over to Ranieri. And you think you know the story, right? Because we're telling that story for anyone who doesn't doesn't know it. We're telling the story of 92 when the Premier League was was first formed right through to 2012. And, and we went into it with the idea of we're going to talk about Chelsea as being this great team that did so much and changed football because the stuff that Chelsea did around transfers with the Bosman ruling. We were the first team to really, you know, manipulate the market to our advantages with Rud Hullet and then subsequently Viali and others. Um, so we thought we were telling that story. And then when we went to Monaco, we were with Ken. The other stuff you learned at a boardroom level, which we sort of knew, but then you heard it in more depth. Um, and this is all in the Ken Bates tapes, um, which was a prelude to the main series um, about how, you know, United and Arsenal wanted to keep all the TV rights like Barcelona and Real Madrid. And um, Ken and Ron Nodes, you know, from little known Chelsea and little known Crystal Palace, basically formed an alliance to stop Man United and Arsenal, David Dean and Martin Edwards from running away with the money. Because if they'd run away, because they've been thinking, those lot, they've been thinking about a Super League since the 80s, you know, and they saw the Premier League as a route into that. And um, Ken stopped it with Ron Nodes, you know. And I know Ken's a divisive character. I personally have spent a lot of time with him. 
So I get to see the side that goes beyond the headlines and, you know, um, the bravado. And I think he's, you know, really, a really good guy. And I, I value so much what he did for Chelsea. But obviously I know I'm biased as well, you know, and someone else might come and have a valid argument to say, well, he did this and he did that and I don't like it. And I'm, I'm like, I can't argue with that, you know, um, because I'm sure he did do some stuff. But I, I, just, I can only judge him from what I've seen. And maybe because I'm seeing a guy who's 91 years old now and he's different, maybe. He doesn't feel different, but maybe he is. So, sorry, I've given you a bit of an elongated answer. But so what, what I learned is about this 20 years that I thought I knew everything and I realised I knew nothing. <laughs> you know, and you just and then you, you get into the, the era when Roman comes in and and you start speaking to people behind the scenes about stuff there. And that's when I was working at Chelsea and I thought I knew everything then I didn't. And then we've, we've got two episodes that are coming up, which we, we delayed them because... Um, we were waiting on a couple of interviews, uh, which we've got now, um, because we needed to fill in some gaps. Like we needed to fill in some gaps on Moscow and a few other bits. Um, so we didn't want to, and that's the thing, we didn't want to just put it out because we were like, we've got a, so it's been a little bit, the release has been a little bit staggered in a way we didn't really anticipate, but we just thought, you know, we don't want to skittle over stuff because we, we wanted, we were on our schedule and we needed someone, we needed to be on someone else's. And that's the problem when you've got, so many voices that are coming in you know and we've done it on a shoestring budget so you know how do you bring all these voices together you've just got to sort of work to their schedule so we've got the last two episodes coming out and when you hear them there's stuff in there which i won't give anything away not because it's like scandal or headlines but it's just insight that around how we won the champions league and um the stuff that was going on behind the scenes that i was there watching it and not even realizing this was happening you know so it's incredible yeah i thought the especially the from the series so far and i i think what's great about it if you are a younger chelsea fan or even you know someone in my age who didn't live through the kenbet years you know i my my first chelsea game was was one of roman's first chelsea games you know so i because you i, I personally um, no, it was um, it was a season before then. It was 03-04. It was, oh, sorry, um, that's Jose's first game. Sorry, Liverpool was the first the, game. Sorry, it was um, the first game I actually went to was MSK Jelena in the the Champions League second leg qualifier. I believe it was the night that Crespo was yeah. unveiled at half time. Um, so because I, you know, I didn't experience that, I didn't live that, and you kind of for, for years I'd heard the tales from my dad, from my brother, from my uncles, from my granddad. You know, and. So I guess in some ways I see it, although it, of course, being emotionally connected to Chelsea, you kind of take a, I I personally, because I didn't live through it, take a little bit of a distance view, if that makes sense. And I think he is, he threw the series up to the point where Roman takes, takes over, I think drops two of the the biggest things that I didn't know. And one of them you just mentioned there in terms of the, the TV rights. And I think it's interesting that because of the way Chelsea are perceived and because of the media kind of narrative and conversation about Chelsea being seen as in some ways to kind of simplify it, the villains of English football in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. You look back at that TV right still and you go, it just, it, I think, and, and the Super League did this as well. It, it kind of make that there is a lot more nuance in the history of English football and Premier League than I think some people want to, to make out. And I think Bates is kind of a, a a controversial figure, a complex figure, I think very much demonstrates that throughout the series. Yeah, and I think what's really interesting about Chelsea's modern history, uh, modern being from the inception of the Premier League, 
is that um, yeah, the landscape of the English game is largely down to Chelsea, for better or worse. So, and and the way you can look at that is in two ways. You you know, and it's 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 a really cinematic story, really Chelsea's modern history because you know the the, the narrative arc is incredible. Where you've got the you know you, you see them in the real world. You know, you you did film right so you, you talk about the hero's journey and and whatnot and you see them in the real world which is they're down and out and they're nothing and then they're trying to make it and then you know they hit their certain things and then you know you get into the the middle act and the middle act is you know when Hullet comes in and then they they go up and you're like they're gonna do it but then you get to the moment of they're gonna go bust how are they gonna come back from this are they gonna get the girl well, Roman steps in and then eventually Chelsea reach their moment. They get the holy elixir, which is winning the Champions League, right? But to bring it back to that landscape of the, of English football is without Chelsea, the Premier League doesn't exist the way it did in the 90s. And obviously Crystal Palace are essential to that as well with Ron Nodes. But then Chelsea go on more because they the way they use the Bosman ruling and then they start, they're able to compete and they bring themselves from finishing 13th and 14th in the table to getting up there and then Hullet we finished six in that season, but win the tro you know, win the FA Cup. And then in those five years, uh, well, five, six years leading up to Roman, we start winning more. We, you know, in 99-2000, we, we could have won the Premier League, but we finished third. And then um, it tails off a little bit, but then Roman comes in and then we change it again, where just as the Premier League needed that boost, yes, yeah, it's, it's been around for 10 years. It's been a great product. What that needs a boost somehow, well, you get this billionaire come in and make it attractive as a billionaire's playground. Now, again, people will talk to me and say, well, I don't think that's a good thing. And they'll lay out a case for it. And I'll be like, I can't argue against that. But then you can lay out a case for it and say, well, look at the Premier League now, because it wasn't going to happen here. It was going to happen somewhere else. And Roman Abramovich, um, you know, regardless of what people want to talk about in terms of you know, the stuff in more recent times, but just reflecting on 20 years ago, his arrival just jettisoned the Premier League into the stratosphere, you know, and the Premier League is the place it is because of Chelsea for those reasons, the 90s and then Abramovich. And you've got what you've got now in terms of the investment from the US with the billionaires and other people coming into the game, whether we look down upon sovereign wealth funds and stuff, you know, is another debate altogether. But I think fundamentally you look at it and the Premier League is what it is because of Chelsea. And you listen to the blueprint, and I hope people will listen to it and they'll hear a, a study of why that is. One final question on, on the blueprint is favourite guest. Uh, because, they, I mean, you spoke to so many people over a long period of time, and I'm I'm sure there were incredible stories within that, even some that maybe didn't make the podcast. Uh, but, that I mean, just the list of people you're able to speak to for this was probably the, the most incredible list of Chelsea people that has ever been assembled for anything. And I'm not just saying that because you're here. I mean, when you just, when you list them out, it's uh, players, staff, managers, pundits, commentators. I mean, it's just, it's remarkable really that, to get all these people in one place or, or one show. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that because... Um... It's good that, you know, people that have heard it, you know, say that because um, we wanted it to be so well sourced. We, we, we did too many, um, which is why it's taken so long as well to put it together, because it's like, how do we not put people in? But because when we were promoting this um, in March, 
when we released the Ken Bates tapes and then we did the Matthew Harding tapes and then we led to, there were the precursors to the main series and then we led into the main series in May. We had done over 180 interviews then, um, some off the record, so I can't break confidence of who they were, but now we've done over 190. Um, and the, the ones that we've added to that are like John Terry. Um, we just did Joe Cole yesterday. Um, because it's guys that are busy and, you know, and it's funny cause I'm not saying this to name drop, but then when we sat down, Joe was like yesterday and we went out and did it at the, the millennium hotel at Stamford bridge. And we were just sat and he was on the sofa and he was like, yeah, so you, this isn't with the club, is it? And I said, no. And he was like, you got JT lamps, Cahill, check Bates, um, Di Matteo. Eddie Newton, Glenn Hoddle, you know, and he, and he was like, mate, you've got amazing access for independence. And I said, yeah, it's because we just showed everyone that we can be trusted, Joe. He went, no, that's, you know, that's, that's basically why I'm doing it. I know I can trust you. Um, so yeah, we've just done an incredible amount of, of interviews and, and that's where the, the idea of the, the tapes series, as we're calling it, comes from because, there was so much with Ken that we just couldn't put everything in. A lot of the Matthew Harden stuff that was subsequent to what we did with Ken, we didn't want to get, you know, stuck in the mud talking about stuff that's been gone over so much. But we had different perspectives on it with with people that had never spoken publicly before. That, you know, and, and the way we got these people to talk was we took like days, weeks, and months talking to them to get them to trust us, meeting them, going out for lunch, going out for a coffee meeting them five, six, seven, eight, nine times, you know, but never forcing them into an interview, just getting them ready. So that they were like, okay, I'm comfortable to speak to you on the record now. And then we would sit down and do the interview. And a few people were never comfortable enough where they just said, I can't, I, I just don't want to do it. I'm happy to talk to you here and give you context, but I don't want my voice on it. And I don't want to you know, do that, which is fine because, you know, I understand that, from us, from our perspective, you know, when we're talking to people, we know the the intentions with which we're doing it. But for them, it's a scary sort of reality to step into, right? Because they don't, they're giving up something that is sacred to them, you know, the stories and stuff and their knowledge that they've got to make sure they can trust you. And sometimes they just feel like they can't trust anyone enough, right? Which is fine. Um, it was, it's Ken Bates. Um, simply because I used to, I used to go, and again, this comes back back down to my my dad and my brothers and my family and stuff, you know. And um, yeah, you know, so when when I was at school, right? Um, I promise I won't ramble on as much. But when I was at school, um, we you know, used to you have parents' evenings and stuff, and we used to have the careers advisor. And my parents got up to the school, and yeah, you know, I was just a well, I wasn't a bad kid. I was just mischievous, right? I was misunderstood. I wasn't getting up to you know, I was, I was never doing drugs. I've never done drugs or anything like that, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't round the back of the bike shed smoking and you know, I was just more like, let's have a laugh. And yeah. so the teachers, you know, used to get annoyed with me pretty easily. So we'd anyway, parents evening and they're there going, Oh, we could do so much more, but all he wants to do is joke around and da da da. da. And then as we were, my dad's like, Oh God, you, you need to sort yourself out, mate. You know? And then, um, as we're leaving the careers advisors, like, Oh, can I have a word with you? He's like, what have you done now? And I was like, I haven't done anything. And the careers advisor just goes, oh, look, you need to speak to Gary and tell him, you know, 
he, he keeps talking. He wants to go and work for Chelsea. And my dad went, right. And they went, yeah, but as his parents, you need to tell him that kids from the estate don't get to go and do that. And my dad was just like, look, you don't kill my kids' dreams. You know, he, so he goes, we're, we're leaving. And we left. And he said to me, he goes, if you want to go and work for Chelsea, you can't just turn up and go and work for Chelsea and do all this, you know, because I was like, all I wanted to do was write for the programme. That's all I wanted to do. I was like, I want to go to work for Chelsea and I want to write for the programme. I used to get it every week, read it cover to cover. Absolutely loved it. You know, um, Bridge News, Onside, Magazine, you know, I used to read them all. I absolutely loved them. And I was like, That's, this is what I want to do. You know, I was like, I don't care about anything else. This is what I want to do. And um, he goes, well, you've got to work hard at school and you've got to knuckle down. You've got to do this. And, you, and, I, and I was, you know, but that, that was my dream. And the teachers were like, you can't do that. And then if you fast forward, I don't know, like 25 years to April 2022, if someone told me that that parents' evening night, you're going to be in Monaco with Ken Bates for two days and he's going to talk to you as his equal, I would never, ever, ever have believed it. And subsequent to that, my relationship with him is, you know, we're not best buddies, but he calls me every now and then. And when I was in America just recently, he called me and it was 9 a.m. in Monaco. So it was 3 a.m. in the U.S. So it went through to answer phone. And I've got this message of him going, wakey, wakey, Gary. You know, and um, he's like, you've got anyway, he's calling me because he wanted to ask some stuff. And he's like, when I need anything about Chelsea, you're my guy to call. And um, yeah, I'm going to see him in December for his birthday. And if someone said that to me 25 years ago, I would never have believed it. And I think about my dad died 13 years ago. And I'm like, I say to my brothers, I'm, you know, I, I share all this stuff with my brothers because not out of, you know, anything more than just complete jaw on the floor. Like, Ken Bates called me. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm chatting to Ken. I, so, yeah, that that's the one for me, just because the little kid in me, you know, and I'd never take anything for granted with, with Chelsea, you know, like, so I, I just wish my dad was there. I could go, Ken said this, dad, or, you know, Ken, can you say something to my dad, please, or whatever? Because I remember um, when we played Liverpool in the cup final last year and he just phoned me. I was at the pub in Marlebone, you know, because we were getting the train up from Marlebone to Wembley. And I was with my cousin, Jamie, and I got a call and it was Ken. And I was, I was a bit a few sheets to the wind and I was like oh so I answered it anyway I was like all right and then Jamie goes who are you talking to I went it's Ken he went no it's not what it is so I went oh it's Ken can you speak to my cousin Jamie and then I put Jamie on the phone and then we were just laughing about it because I was just like because Jamie's a little bit younger than me and we've always been close in age and stuff and we're like similar characters and we were just a bit like you know we were going Chelsea together as kids I just thought if anyone yeah if anyone just said to me you know, look, I, and I always say this, I always caveat it with it, that more people have come from less and achieved more, right? The biggest example I can use is Bruce Springsteen to get him in there again. I would never, ever, I haven't got a, a shred of talent in my body to do anything that he's done and other people in the world that have gone on to do great things. I've just been a conduit to tell 
the stories of Chelsea people to fans, right? There's nothing really special about what I do. But I just never take it for granted that somehow I've made it that I can tell some stories. You know, so to have Ken Bates tell his story to us, and he'd never spoken about Abramovich, you know, on on record before and stuff. So to, to get the trust of him to do that was incredible. So, yeah, Ken's the one. There's been so many great people, and that's not to do a disservice to anyone else, but it's just Ken because, you know, everything that I do, and Kerry who produced it me, he always says to me, he's like, Gary, you've got to calm down, mate, because you're going to have a breakdown because when you do these interviews, you're so emotionally involved in them. You know, and I try to be professional, and I am. I'm not there like a fan on, on the floor, but I just get so much into them. You know, and after, like, when we did the stuff with Joe last night, I, I came home, I had to lay down. Because and even though I worked with Joe, and I've interviewed him so many times, but doing this style of interview we did yesterday, I'm just like, it's so draining. I, I don't know how to compare it. So when we did the stuff with Ken, when we flew home, um, when we kept, when we landed, we it was the day, the day on the day of when we played Man United up at Old Trafford at the end of that season. When it, I think did we draw one all? Was it nil nil? Really boring game. Yes, yeah, typical um, us not beating Man United frustration as has become custom. Yeah, in yeah, years. yeah, exactly. And um, but I remember I just got home and I had a migraine because I was just so emotionally drained because I was just like put everything into these interviews and um, so yeah to do again I'm giving you a really long answer but just trying to sort of stress the to to sit and do it with Ken was just incredible. And it come back to that little kid holding my dad's hand on the tube, getting my first program, reading Ken Bates's notes, and then being able to not just bump into him once, but do an interview with him and then maintain that relationship with him for no other reason that, you know, I just love Chelsea and I just love everything that the club's about, you know? I think you you know you do yourself a disservice to say that like it you know it's just this thing of like interviewing people and kind of telling stories. I think in the current time of people feeling maybe a sense of disconnection with the club currently, and I know that isn't the same for everyone, um, but especially in recent years where I I don't think the the pandemic helped this at all. Where a sense that maybe people feeling even more distant from their clubs and and what it means to be a supporter and maybe this sense of of online toxicity and the sense of consumerism and 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 you know the the sense of meaning and and sentiment that feels like it's being lost i think what the blueprint does is it i think it hopefully reconnects people to those memories of chelsea and to what what it you know what it means to to be a football supporter and and i hope for younger chelsea fans who maybe don't appreciate the past as maybe much as they should this is a great way to learn about chelsea to learn about what what this club was before it was the club that it is today you know and, and i think that that's what the series does and when you speak so passionately about the family side of things your relationship with your dad you know it, it you know it hits home for me personally because it's you know similar you know it's it's this it's those those special moments, that, that those family connections that you know, and that love of Chelsea, that passion of Chelsea, because it it is part of your identity. Like it is, it is what it comes, you know, represent much of what what happens in life and what, much of what you value in life and and those big family events. So I have to say, I, I think that it's it's an incredible series, and I think people should go and 
and and listen to it and and delve into it and support the show too because uh, i know we'll, we'll we'll plug this right at the end but i know there that there's a patreon being set up for the for the show and hopefully more series coming out so um yeah i just think it's incredible so definitely deserve all the credit for it um let's do some current chelsea stuff um depending on when this is released chelsea have just won a game well two games in a row which feels pretty weird in 2023 uh obviously being fulham i i get the sense you're and, and conversations we have had before on like the the chelsea with with kerry is is you're much more of an optimistic i think fan is that fair to say and, and you know someone who you know, tries to look at things with perspective and obviously that has been aided by looking back in chelsea history and, and understanding how serious and bad things could have been in the past and were in the past during different times i mean what is your take on this season the state of the club because i i know people and they're not just like online reactionaries these are people who pour a lot of money in their their emotion and have been supporting chelsea for a for a long long time feel what don't feel as connected to the club currently yeah i it's, it's not just a case of being optimistic for the sake of optimism but i just try to look at things on their merits um look i i don't know whether I'm an idiot or whether I've just seen things from a different perspective because I was able to see the inner workings of a football club. Um, But I I see what they're trying to do at Chelsea and, you know, I've, I've just to talk about the owners quickly, have they made mistakes? Of course they have. Um, And now that they'll admit that Um, I think they got rid of Tuchel too quick. Uh, I think they got rid of Potter too quick. Um, and I hope they don't get rid of Pochettino too quick. Um, I think, you know, if they had kept Tuchel for last season to bed bed themselves in, you know, I don't, I don't think the season would have been as bad. If they had given Potter a pre-season, I think his ideas would have been coming to the fore more and the team would have been improving. I think there's that, that data, isn't there, that based on the, the Brighton metrics that uh, you could see that Potter's Chelsea were actually getting better um, despite some of the results. Right. And then they, they, you know, they, they chopped him, but now they've got an incredible manager who I think you'd look at what he's done with Mudrick already. Mudrick's not the finished article by any stretch, you know, and, and I think it's the problem now with when it comes to discourse around football is that you'll praise a player I think you might have said this as well, actually, Dan, the other day, when it's like, just because I'm praising a player for a good performance doesn't mean that he hasn't had bad performances or whatever, you know? And like to, and to use the case on Mudrick, just because he scored his first Chelsea goal now, I'm not saying he's Eden Hazard. Um, but what I am saying is that you can see the progress. You can see, and that is another step of the progress, and that is a tangible thing that you can look at and say, here is where things are going right. Is everything going right? No, it's not. But why should it be going right either? And I think that there's certain aspects of the media where they want to use data on transfers to, you know, as, as a stick to beat Chelsea with. And I think it's premature. How can you judge owners on 15, 16 months in ownership when they inherited a club that had been sanctioned They've had to completely strip it back and almost rebuild it. Now, do I agree with everything they've done? No, I don't. I would have loved to have kept Mason Mount. 
But then here, here's, and this is where the balance comes in football. You know, that doesn't mean that I support Mason Mount over Chelsea, but I would have loved to have had Mason Mount at Chelsea because what I'm all about is not young players for the sake of young players, but it's when you've got, you know, incredibly talented players like Mount that have proved it, that I think you should be doing everything to keep them because they are the heart and soul of Chelsea. Reese James, Mason Mount, Conor Gallagher, those types of characters, you know, they are what makes Chelsea, Chelsea. But do I think they should keep Trevor Chaloba? I love Trevor because he's come through the academy and he plays with his heart on his sleeve, but that's not enough to to be the club that Chelsea is now. So when you look at the players that are ahead, oh yeah, sorry, Levi Colville as well, right? They're players that, and Colville's got it. You can see he's got it. Whereas Trevor is below that. Now, if Trevor wants to play the, the Ruben role of, I'm happy to be a utility player and do 15 to 20 appearances a season. Great, because you're guys that keep that culture alive. But Trevor think, well, judging by it, Trevor wants to play every week. And when you've got the players ahead of him that Chelsea may have a sign, I don't think that's realistic, right? So I think there's the balance there. But then I'm completely distraught that um, we sold Mason Mount. But then I said in an overly dramatic message to um, Andy and Kerry the other day on our little Chelsea group, I'd have said the signing of um, Cole Palmer has mended my heart. Because I was just like, because Palmer, I've idolised, I say idolised, I've, appreciated his talent since I saw him uh, in an FA Cup game, uh, an FA Youth Cup game. And then I just sort of not track, you know, I haven't been like, I watch Cole Palmer every week, but whenever I've seen a Man City game and I've seen him playing, I'm like, actually, I'm going to watch this because I want to watch him. And I remember just thinking, God, they've got Foden over there. And when Palmer matures, they're going to have Palmer there. They have got these two incredible. And look, I make no apologies for it. I love English players playing for Chelsea. Does that mean I want... English players over any player. No, it doesn't. But when we've got talented English players playing for Chelsea because they, they're on merit, I love it because I'm English. I want to see English players play for Chelsea in the English league. That's not to be xenophobic in any stretch I, because I love Eden Hazard. I love Gianfranco Zola. I idolised Viali as a kid. You know, But I like the balance of it. So, But I love it that these English young English talents, because I love the England team and I see it and I feel like... The England team's going to have Ben Chilwell, Rhys James, Conor Gallagher, Cole Palmer, Raheem Sterling. You know, I'm like, Chelsea are feeding that team because then it gives me even more connection to the England team, right? And I'm sure that, you know, players, uh, fans in Spain love seeing that Real Madrid and the Spanish national team, for instance. So, you know, I, I see Palmer, I just thought, you know, he is such a talented player. And then when we got him, I, just, I was in America and we signed him. I was like... Is this for real? I had, to, I had to message Louis. And I was like, Louis, have we just signed Cole Palmer? And he was like, yeah. I couldn't believe it. So then, and then you see him, I know everyone made a big deal about him coming on against Forrest, but I, was, I said to Kerry about it, I goes, look, you can't judge him on that. I said, just let him ease his way into his team. And then the last two games he's played, look, it's two games. We know it's two games, but you've seen it. You know it. You just see it and you know it. And he's going to, he's going to be, you know, one of the mainstays in this team. And, my bold reaction to the last couple of games said he's going to be player of the year this year. He reminds me of, he's like a hybrid of Mata and Mount. And I, I absolutely adored Juan Mata. I was gutted when we sold him. I was so gutted when we sold him that Man United magazine approached me and said, can you write a piece for us? And I did it about how great Mata is from a Chelsea fan's perspective. I don't want to 
touch that. I was like, I had to go and have a shower after and you know, use all my bloody um, antibacterial creams after writing for them. But, you know, so I'd look at it now. I just feel like stuff is happening. Are we going to win the trophy, a trophy this year? Probably the Carabao Cup, hopefully. Are we going to win the league? No. Will we get in the Champions League? I don't know. But if we don't, I'm not bothered. Because it's what's coming beyond that. I, I do think that I have I've been a little bit more critical of the the ownership um, in the past few months. I mean, I guess it's it's things that I've heard, um, even stuff maybe not reported that that doesn't that doesn't sound great to me. Um, I thought the away subsidy decision was a real kick in the teeth. I, I thought that it was a really insulting decision, and I I understand people's fury at that. And I just thought it I it was just a PR own goal. Like it's just, it, it was just kicking yourself and, and, and you know, it it just, it didn't make a lot of sense. And, and I, I, I do have a general fear and, and, you know, you do, I think you just articulated the importance of academy talent or homegrown talent in the first team uh, that I thought was just the biggest, the, the, the greatest thing about the transfer ban was that it finally made the club in 2019 actually look inwards and go, actually, we have some talent here that we could play in the first team. And I, I, I would like to think that that was the turning point. And I really hope that it doesn't turn around again. And we, because I, I do have a slight concern that with the way we were trying to flog Ian Matson, Trevor Chalibur, and even Conor Gallagher in the last window, I, I, I do, I, I, I think the jury's out, right? And I want to see what happens in that aspect in the coming months. But I, I'm not. I'm probably more in the middle, a little bit more positive about things than maybe some other people. I guess that's just a bit like you. I'm I'm just kind of of that nature. Um, I'm not so doom and gloom that everything is rubbish and my mind can't be changed and they are the worst owners in the world and they've got absolutely no idea what they're doing. I'm not to that level. Uh, but I, 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 do, I do get people's feeling. And I think it, it's something that you referenced earlier about the sanctions period. And I, I don't, think maybe people still don't realize even though when you actually look at it in terms of like actual days from the sanctions to being taken over it actually wasn't that long but the impact i think it had on all of us as supporters that that feeling of fear of actually the club could go under here like what is the future of chelsea going to be you've been settled in this uh way of chelsea for a long period of time like basically 20 years and then everything gets thrown up in the air I don't know if you feel the same way. I, I still feel that Chelsea, especially since the last title win, don't quite know what the identity of the club should be, is, will be. And and I know that's to some people they may laugh because we've won a Champions League within that time. But it still kind of feels to me like Chelsea, what, what the next era of Chelsea is going to be is still very much undecided. And I feel like if you ask 10 Chelsea fans, they pro- they might give you 10 different answers. Yeah, I think you're right. But then my my concern with this, and I think what you're saying is right about the ownership is that you're not completely sold on them, but you're not completely against them. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I, I probably sit a little bit further to the idea of being with them. But I think that's just my, you know, my nature. And maybe I'm a bit naive, but, <clears throat> you know, to give them a credit, I think they're trying to do a lot of things and they're trying to do it quick. They're not sitting there going, hey, we've got a 10-year plan to win the title. They're going, no, we want to win the title as soon as possible, but we know we've got to go through this pain first, right? Because I think they've had to... You look at what they've done behind the scenes. They've completely gutted the club and had to build it from the bottom up, right? Because they've got rid of it. Because they inherited a club that didn't have much structure. Because you've got to understand, you know, Chelsea was run 
Abramovich built Cobham, you know, put the training ground in place and, and everything and did, did other stuff. But, you know, and the academy's there. But the reason why Chelsea had problems of those players crossing the road was there was never any structure because the managerial turnover was such that where Chelsea, what Chelsea are doing now is they're trying to build it. And there's the negatives in that as they're trying to build it, they've gone through a few managers within a year. But I think they've got the right guy now. Uh, maybe they should have got from the outset. Um, there's been a few knee-jerk, panicked um, decisions. Like I think getting rid of Potter was, I think, tough. You know, just because, again, I, I, I can't say whether Potter was going to be a success or not. Um, but you look at his track record and you think wherever where he's gone, he's needed time. And that's what, and people can go, yeah, but this is Chelsea and you haven't got that. But to bring it all back to what you're saying about what the identity of this team is, it's starting to form. You can see it. And after last season, when we lost away against Man United, I was I saw um, Bruno, you know, giving some jip to Enzo and no one ran up to protect him. And Enzo was there with like seven United players around him. And I just thought, Lamps is on the sideline watching that. And he knows when he was playing, that, that didn't happen. This team, his teams didn't get bullied. And even, you know, right up to when Conte left, that didn't happen. When Lamps was there, that didn't happen. And suddenly, but that's what I mean about this, this hangover of the sanctions. And then all these changes have happened. And I feel like the club lost itself a little bit, but I feel like it is coming back because you look at after, and, and the reason it's coming back as well is because of the academy players. Like, you see Colwell's celebration with Mudrick after that goal and the way he's into it. And you see um, when Jackson scored against Brighton in the Cup last week, everyone was with him. And you see the way Gallagher's playing. And Gallagher with the armband at the moment, being in the middle of the pitch, being able to influence the game more than Reese James perhaps out on the right because Reese has been injured. And Gallagher's just sort of, the last few weeks, just looks like he's completely matured and is becoming more consistent and more confident in his role in the team, right? And they're the guys that turn up and tell those players why we can't lose to Spurs in a few weeks. And then you see after, you know, um, the end of the game when Desazi, has got his top off and he's celebrating with the players and he's pushing them around. I feel like they're getting some camaraderie. And as you see it now, you're like, okay, characters are starting to form here. And it's, they've got a long way to go to match anything that's happened in the last 20 years. But they're starting, I feel like they're recreating this team in, in their vision with their identity. They need more bite. Because as Chelsea fans, that's what we like, right? But then you see Breuer. And I'm like, you're the sort of B that I like up front. Because you're, you're not on the level of Diego Costa yet. But you could be. And, you know, he just bulldozes players. And you, you, I go watch matches. And I sit there as an observer. I love hearing the, when the crowd sing and I just watch. I don't sing or anything. Um, I think that's just because I've worked so much on the other side that it just strips it out, you're right. And now I'm 41 and past it, and I just sort of like watching other people have fun. Um, but when Breuer came on against Villa, for a long time, it's the first time I got up out of my seat and was effing and jeffing because I just saw him run through those Villa defenders. And I was like, that's what I want to see. And I think more characters like that in this team, that builds that identity because I feel there's a camaraderie coming and that's what's going to gel this team together because they're all young and they're going to mature together in the way that Lamps and JT matured together and that team came together around them. I don't know who those leaders are going to be yet uh, because I, I think that's missing in this team. 
But there's a hint of it. There's a hint of it. And you can't turn your back on it while there's a hint of it. And it's going to get better. I think it's, you know, my prediction at the start of the season was August and September would be horrible. And then we'd start looking better in November. Um, I don't know whether, you know, the last two matches of wins is a hint of that. You know, we've got to beat Burnley at the weekend. Hopefully we do. We should. Um, and then we've got those tricky fixtures, but that's what builds character, you know? You don't just, you don't, you're not, you're not just born with character. You've got to go through something to get character. You know, I'm sure you've gone through stuff in life that you've gone, I'm not going to let that happen again. I've gone through, you know, stuff, you know, where to, just to have the ambition and desire to do the blueprint, stuff I went through in my career to go, you know what, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to make it work and hopefully it does. And somehow I got there. Whether it's worked or not isn't, my, you know, I, I can't say whether it has. It's down to the people that listen to it to say whether it has. But, you know, you've got to go through stuff collectively to build that. And I think that's what this team's going through. Going back to another part, another big part of your career uh, was covering Chelsea. Um, I believe between 2013 and 2017. And of course, during that period, we had Jose, the, the Jose sequel, but then also Antonio Conte, um, and especially the sixteen seventeen season, and just I think what's fascinating, and and we'll get to a story of 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 Conte in a press conference that I, I think is is great and really represented that period, and, and you were involved with being able to cover the team and 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 follow that team and and seeing how they did throughout that sixteen seventeen season. I mean, some of the best football I've ever seen Chelsea play during that period. I mean, it must have been a real privilege to cover that team that closely that season. Yeah. So. Um... So I, I was, I've been covering Chelsea in one form or another since I graduated, which was 2004. So I started working on the club magazine in a freelance capacity and then eventually got a full-time job working on the program and the magazine. Um, and I did that up until 2012, just, sorry, 2011, 2011. And then um, I switched over and um, when Bleach Report launched in the UK, before they launched here, I started doing stuff for them. And then they did their big launch and I was their main Chelsea guy and then did stuff with CNN. And I did that right through until the uh, 17 season. Yeah. Um, and then the reason I stopped is I got really sick and I had a year off. And then when I went back, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. And then I sort of pivoted. But uh, yeah, that 16, 17 season was great because Conte... As again, he's a divisive character, right? But I, I like people that are on the edge. Maybe that's my going back to ten-year-old me wanted to be Vinnie Jones. But I like people on the edge. They're the ones I respond to. Diego Costa, you know, John Terry was controlled, but he was on the edge still. You know, so but so I loved him as a character. Uh, you know, and the way they play, just like determined to win at all costs, and that's what Conte was like. You know, the the stuff on the sidelines, jumping in with the crowd, celebrating when Costa scored that. Monday night football goal against West Ham to launch his season. You know, that's not, um, that's not theatre. That's not an act. That's passion. And he means it. And I remember at the end of that season, he said, I'll, I'll never forget this colour. Because he was talking about the fans and stuff. And they said, oh, you know, what's it been like this year? And obviously it wasn't, it was going into the second season and everything happened. But he said, he goes, I'll never forget this colour. That's what he get. And he kept talking about it all. The colour and, you know, and it's, it's even with Jose, you know, he was talking about, you know, 
the emotion and the blood. Because Jose, I know, look, he went to Spurs and he, he was at United and he had he's had a few little clashes with Chelsea fans. But fundamentally, Chelsea, Jose is Chelsea. You know, if he had the opportunity, he'd come back. And he knows that the people that really, really understand the culture of what it means to be a Chelsea fan, that doesn't mean you have to go to games. Of course, it doesn't. You know, it doesn't mean you've got to be in England. You know, you could be anywhere in the world and understand that. Um, and he knows they're the people that value, you know, it's it's a shame that he went to Spurs. You know, it's like, it's a bit of a dirty thing he did. But at the same time, you know, fundamentally, if I if I had met Jose, you know, I'd, I'd love to meet him and chat to him about being Chelsea manager because he invented Chelsea, modern Chelsea, as much as Abramovich and Lampard and Terry did, you know. Um, so I, I love those characters. You know, I love those people that are, are on the edge. And um, that's what Conte was. That season, 16-17, because then it was the season after that I wasn't really around because I was sick. He was just great to work with. He was brilliant. Loved interviewing him. Loved chatting to him. Yeah, it was great. In terms of the... Uh, the before recording this, you, you sent over the clip of uh, the, the Taylor quote. Um with I think it was after the Palace win in December 2016. Can we just talk through that period? Because yeah. obviously that was during, I think we were maybe six or seven wins into the 13 game winning run. I think Costa had scored once again. It was just, you know, it was really reaching the peak of that season. And obviously I think it was a really, really, one of the most memorable <clears throat> quotes that he had during that season. Because I remember at his unveiling, he... Um... It was in the West End, in one of the big suites in the West End, because the press room with Chelsea is too small. So they put it over there, as they tend to do, like they did with Pochettino and Lampard and whatnot. And um, and when Jose came back, and he kept talking about, as a coach, I'm a tailor. I'm stitching a team together, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that. And he said it that day, and I thought it was interesting. I just thought, oh, I thought, oh you know, is he saying that because... Um, yeah, his grasp of the English language isn't what it would become, right? Just by virtue of the fact that he'd never lived there. Um, and then I went on the pre-season tour to Austria and he kept saying it then. And then in all his press conferences after, he just kept saying it. And you go through him and he's, he's always talking about, I'm a take, you know, and things started off bad, remember? You know, we lost to Liverpool and then we had the collapse against Arsenal. But then at half time, he changes it, right? He's like, right, I've tried to do it your way. Now I'm doing it my way. Wing backs, boom, boom, boom. And then it changes. And then Chelsea win the title between the end of September and Christmas. Done. Um, and in between that, near the end of that spell, uh, was the Palace game. And he said, then I'm a, I'm a tailor and I'm doing this. So I was like, Antonio, does that make you the, the Armani of managers then? Because you're really putting a good team together. And that's when he giggled and laughed. And that clip went viral that Sky are using it now. But... Um, yeah, it's went everywhere. Antonio, you say about as a manager, you, you've got to be a tailor. So, given how Chelsea are playing, does that make you the Armani of football managers? The bunny. The chicken banner. No. Very good. Antonio. <laughs> it was crazy just his little giggle but that's that's the side of him because he that's when the guard came down for a second not because it was me it was just because he thought it was funny 
And then he's like, and he leans over to Steve Atkins, who was the head of media at the time. He went, are we sponsored by D&G? You know, because he was like, am I allowed to say I'm the Armani of managers? Because should it be D&G or whatever? And um, I think Chelsea were sponsored by D&G. But um, yeah, it was just a funny moment. And then what happened on the back of that was um, I was at the press conference on the Friday after, um, because that was a Saturday game. And I was at the pre-match on the Friday. And then... um, Steve pulled me to one side and he went, I need to have a word with you. And I was like, God, what have I done? Because the thing is, I've never written news. I don't get involved in that stuff. There's people that are much better than me at doing that. And I've never got involved in it. Um, so I always just try to write features and I talk about culture and and whatnot. And I just thought, what, who have I offended? I try not to offend anyone. I just try to do everything honest. And um, so I was sweating it a little bit. And he went, oh, the manager has selected some people to go over the road for a pre-Christmas drink. So would you like to go? And I was like, yeah. So, um, I tell you, I've never finished work so quick after that. We did the press conference. And after I was like, button bashing the hell out of it, getting it done. And then, um, rushed over to the plow, which is the pub opposite the training ground in Cobham. And there was like a few guys from the BBC and, uh, Liam was there. Liam Toomey was, he was ESPN at the time. Obviously, now the athletic, Liam was there, so I sat with Liam. can't remember any others, but it was about, I don't know, seven or eight journalists. Um, and then Conte came in, sat down, we had a beer, and he had a glass of red. And then um, I, I was sat right next to him. Um, and we were, yeah, because we were all around the table, and I just happened to have the seat that was right next to him. Um, and we were chatting, and a couple of times, he was like, hit me as he was laughing. And I was like, God. Right, mate, you know, football friends, you know. Um, and then um he was la- it was and he was laughing about Ancelotti and he was like, he's eyebrow, he's eyebrow. And then um he was having such a good time that his driver turned up and Steve went, Antonio, your driver's in, he went, No, it's fine, I'll have another wine. And he had another glass of wine. And um and then he told everyone and we went, Oh, you got a driver, and he went, Yeah, I don't drive. And we were like, Oh, what? You don't drive? No, no, I don't know. I've never driven a car in my life. We're like, why? He's like, I don't need to. So he doesn't, Conte doesn't get road rage because Conte doesn't drive. Um, So that was a bit of a funny one. But then it was, it was all, um, they were like, oh, look, we want to keep this, um, you know, it's just an off the record chat. Because at the time as well, Conte was, he was trying to build a relationship with the media and he kept talking about, you know, he wants a family at Chelsea and stuff. And it was, you know, a positive PR move, but we weren't meant to talk about it publicly. Um, and then what happened is one of the BBC guys on the weekend when he was at the game, when he was phoning in his pre-match stuff, they went, you know, Mark Chapman just like, oh, you were with the manager yesterday having a drink down the pub. And he told them all about it. And then what happened was um, this email chain kicked off with one of the guys from the sun. Cause they were like, we've missed our scoop. How dare you talk about this when it was off the record and all that. And, um, yeah. And then it, but anyone, everyone was able to talk about it publicly after that. Cause the cat was out of the bag. But, um, so that stuff goes on a lot of football. Um, and my experience of it was with Conte and I just, yeah, I, I loved it. I still really like him now. I just think he's a, he's a great character and maybe a little bit misunderstood. And I, I like his, you know, maybe again, it comes down to my, my desire to be Vinnie Jones, but 
when he says about making the players suffer, people almost like they they laugh at him for it, and they're almost like, oh, that's really archaic. Like, no, I was like, get those guys, make them sweat, you know, because it builds up some resilience, and it it's about it's not it's not about the tactics, it's about the character, because you can have eleven beautiful players, but they've got no character, you know, they're going to lose matches. And even when you look at teams that people talk about as being the best teams around, you know, like Man City now, they've got, they're filled with characters. Look at Rodri. He's a right piece of work. But he's a piece of work. If you play for Chelsea, I'd love him. You know, you, you look at the other players in that team that have got that bite about them, Haaland and stuff, incredibly talented players, but they've got that bite in them. And that's what Conte liked in players. And he dragged it out of Hazard. You know, you think Hazard had, had that terrible season under Jose and subsequently Hiddink and then, he got turned into an animal, you know, with, with Conte. And, um, you know, you look at Costa. But again, you know, that's where the clash comes, right? Two characters, you know, maybe a bit too much. Maybe he wasn't as wise as as Jose because um, when we were doing the stuff with Joe, we were talking about his relationship with, with Jose. And he went, look, I had a good relationship with him, but he didn't bully me. And um, we had a lot of arguments and stuff. He said, he goes, but I told you, he didn't have the arguments with. He said, he didn't have them with JT. He didn't have them with Lamps. He didn't have them with Drogba. He said, because he knew they were his three boys. And if you took one of them out of the team, it changed the team completely. He said, I'm not arrogant enough to think that you could take me out of the team and it would damage Chelsea so much because there was always someone else to fill it. He said, but that spine down the middle is what built that team. And then we were all the people around it. He said, so he goes, he never, and I said, oh, well, you know, some of the stuff that I won't give away about John that's in the John Terry tapes about his relationship with Jose, you know, good stuff. But he went, I didn't know that. He goes, because Jose never did that in front of the other players. He said, but in front of the rest of the squad, he dressed me down and he dressed the others down, but he never dressed Lamps and JT or Drogba down. And I think that's where maybe Conte sort of was he a bit too emotional. So having Costa in there, it's, that's the sort of thing you do away from it because you, you know what I mean he's your Drogba right but um, yeah I love I love I love those managers like that you know the guys that are, they've got that you know again look maybe maybe I'm an old man you know and people want to see but then I, I think that the best managers are still like it now look at Klopp he's like that he's on the edge look at Guardiola plays beautiful football but he's on the edge the way he goes up to the players and he's punching the fist and you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you know, I love that. I love, you know, I, I didn't like Guardiola until he came to the Premier League. And, but the reason I say that is because I didn't see enough of him. And now I see him, I'm like, okay, look, you're not Chelsea, but I respect you because I see what you're about. And you do play football the way you like to play it, but you play it with an edge. I think there's something very British about the way he plays football, which is what I like. But he mixes the flair in there. Which he gets that balance right. But, you know, his team isn't just a team of pushovers. Even when he was at Barcelona, he had those those gnarly players like Busquets, you know, great players with their feet, but they don't mind leaving an elbow in your face. And that's what I like about Conte. The final thing to, to ask you, um, and it's something that I'm going to be asking kind of all my guests on this, on this series is your favorite Chelsea memory. It's not to do with a game or anything. It, it's just a personal one. Um, and obviously I spoke about, you know, that Liverpool game and my first game and stuff. But what, when I worked at the club, um, what I did, I did it every day. You know, I was skin. I didn't have any money and uh, I wasn't paid particularly well. 
Um, so I used to bring my lunch in every day. I used to make my sandwiches at home the night before, bring my lunch in. Um, and then I, I used to go and sit in the manager's seat for lunch every day. And uh, I love doing that. And I used to phone my dad. I'd take lunch early because um, my parents were living in New Zealand and they would be 11 hours ahead. So I'd take my lunch at midday and I'd go and phone my dad and I'd go, Dad, I'm sat in a manager's seat eating my lunch. And I just thought, what an incredible privilege to do. You know, again, not taking anything for granted, just be like that little boy in you, you know, just like, I get to sit. I shouldn't really be doing this, but I get to sit in the manager's seat and eat my lunch. I'd do it for like 20 minutes and I'd go back to the office or I'd go for a walk somewhere or whatever. But, or, you know, sometimes a tour would come through and I'd be like, oh, better dodge out of here or whatever. But I used to sit in the manager's seat and I loved it. And it was Avram Grant at the time. So I was probably thinking I could do a better job. <laughs> but, um, but I'd sit there and I'd just like, and I'd imagine watching, you know, JT at the shed end with Czech and then the ball going to Lamps and then a goal going in at the Matthew Harding with Drogba and seeing Joe Cole running on the right, on the flank there, you know, like right in front of you. And I'd just sit down. I was like, God, this is what the manager sees, you know? And it was just like, it'd play out in your head. It was that field of dreams moment. Really, really was field of dreams of just being sat there and people would probably look at me and think, what's he doing? And I'm just sat there eating a dodgy ham sandwich, you know, um, and just watching in my head all my idols as if I was Chelsea manager. Um, so it's not really a moment, is it? But that, that's, no, I think that that I mean that that's is one of the a, things it, I cherish the most, you know. Yeah, I mean that's an experience that not many people can say, like, especially from a Chelsea fan point of view. Like, how many of us can say we've done that right? Like. I, I think all of us can either say we've seen a game or we've been at a game. Like the, you'll find loads of people like that, but that's a unique experience that you will always have that not many people can experience, right? So I, yeah, I think that does absolutely count as a memory because that's a you know a very special one and it gets back to the heart of you know where your love for Chelsea started. So I think that's a really good one to uh, end on. Yeah, just an incredible feeling, really, and just be like, you know, to think about my brothers and. You know, think about my dad and just be like, you know, and, and that, that's why I'd never take anything for granted because I know the stuff that I've been privileged to do. Other people have done it as well. And like I say, other people have come from less and achieved more. But to me, it's everything. It's like my ambition was Chelsea. I was never going to play for him. So what can I do? Well, I'm going to absorb it every way that I can and do some stupid, immature things because I just I don't want to be an adult about it. Because if you're an adult about it, it's boring. So you can go and use your staff pass to walk anywhere around the stadium on a non-match day and you get to sit there and just be like, here we are, boys. You know, so that's the, yeah, that's that's the dream. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Gary, for joining me. Uh, before we do wrap up, uh, just give you a chance to, to plug and, and to say where people can find the blueprint, the future plans for the blueprint, all of that good stuff. We've got our last two episodes coming out very shortly. Um, we're finalizing them. Um, so we don't know exactly, but they will be out shortly. Um, and that's going to take the story right up to 2012. So that's going to give the inside stuff that no one knows about. Um, and in those episodes, we've got Di Matteo, Eddie Newton, 
John Terry, Gary Cahill, Frank Lampard, Peter Cech, uh, Todd Kane. Uh, great story with Todd. Um, Joe Cole, <clears throat> Paul Clement. God, I'm thinking of all these names. I'm just like, yeah, there's there's a lot. Um, so we're getting them out, and then there'll be a little bit of a break for about a week in programming, and then that's when the John Terry tapes will drop, and then it'll be Joe Cole, and then not necessarily in this order, but Colin Hutchinson, Jody, Glenn, to give the full scale of all these interviews. Um, and what, what we've done is we created a subscription service on Apple. So if you subscribe, you get everything ad free um, because we're trying to support it financially. Um, and uh, th- that'll be more consistent now in terms of the program. So people will be getting more for their uh, subscription um, but then what we'll be doing is well subscribers will get those bonus episodes first um, and then um, a few days well a week or so after they'll be, they'll become public but you, you'll you'll get first on first dibs on all those interviews and and whatnot um, and then we've got series two three and four in the pipeline already while we've been getting this series done we've already started work on series two um, and series three um and w- over on patreon it's the same stuff you get with if you subscribe on apple but you get a little bit extra because it allows us to do stuff with video and whatnot so um kerry and i are just trying because what the blueprint is about his first series is about how chelsea changed football but we want to deliver cultural stories and cultural impact so we know there's a lot of fans that don't get to game so we want to do some stuff where we do videos before and after matches and bring people in and do little things like that. Um, we're going to, you know, through the access we've got to players, um, we're going to do a few giveaways on Patreon as well. Um, so there's a lot we've got in the pipeline. Um, and the thing is, the price points on Patreon mean that you can't, we, we are only charging 99p on Apple, but you can't do that on Patreon. It doesn't let you. They're like, no, you've got to do this the minimum, which I think is three quid. So we're like, well, we can give Patreon subscribers a little bit more. Um, but we've got we've got loads lined up for it. Um, you know, it's a story of modern Chelsea. There's so much to do. We're not going to go anything earlier than 92, just because there's people that do that better than us. You know, people like David Johnston, Mark Worrell, you know, David Chidgey, the likes of them, um, Kelvin Barker. You know, they're, they're guys that, that's their era and they've got it wrapped up and I wouldn't want to step on their toes and do the stuff that they innately know better than us. Um, so we, we, everything goes from 92 onwards. Uh, so that, 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 that's, that's what we've got planned. There's, there's a lot coming. Um, and we're going to release a book for the blueprint as well. Um, and there's some other stuff. So there's, there's loads more, loads more stories to tell, loads more voices to add. Um, so this is going to be going on for a few more years yet. It's absolutely brilliant. The episodes that have been released so far on the on the podcast uh, feed, you can go to the show notes. I'll link all the relevant stuff to find the blueprint, listen to the episode so far and also support the show. And obviously I'll do the same on YouTube. Thank you so much, Gary. Thank you so much, everyone, for watching and listening. Uh, you can follow me on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Son of Chelsea. You can also find Son of Chelsea on Instagram, on TikTok as well, and on Facebook with that tag too. And on YouTube, please subscribe for the latest Chelsea content. And I will see you again very soon. All the best. Sports Social Podcast Network.